It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prices are soaring. I don't need to tell you that. I know it. Politicians know it. Just Living life is expensive at the moment, and it's going to get worse. This winter coming up is going to be the most desperate time. Genuinely, a once-in-a-generation event. What's less clear are the reasons why, and what anyone can do about it. I am virtually out of tools to help people now. Have you felt a bit helpless? Well, yes. I'm fed off. Something's got to be done. We have to live with it and deal with it. People are going to go out in the streets. You mark my words, they're going to go out and rob supermarkets. We need to be under no illusions of the visceral danger when people who have always been their family's breadwinners have that taken away from them. Yes, there's a war raging in Ukraine. Yes, Covid has messed up many supply chains. That part is sort of easy to understand. But what is the full picture? corporations are reporting record profits. Shell announced more than £14 billion in profits. Shipping giant Maersk says profits tripled. Something just doesn't add up. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. Manveen's away, so you've me, Luke Jones. Today, who is making a killing from the cost of living? My name is Mehreen Khan, and I'm the economics editor at The Times. Take us back, Maureen, to when the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, was giving a speech, as he's wont to do, and he had something of a warning telling us not to do something. Yes, this was around February this year when the Bank of England did its usual three-monthly forecast for the economy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bank of England's monthly policy report press conference. To my right is Andrew Bailey, governor of the Bank of England. Turning to inflation, 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 inflation is expected to increase further in the coming months. And then he made quite pointed comments. Some firms report to us that they've started passing on higher labour costs to consumer prices. Thanks, Andrew. Yes, we're out of time. Thanks ever so much for coming, everyone. Thank you. Then Andrew Bailey went on a sort of media round where he speaks to television and radio. We do need to see a moderation of wage rises. You're trying to get into people's heads and ask them not to ask for too high pay rises? Well, broadly, yes. Uh, I will say that. We need to see that in order to get through this problem more quickly. 
Bailey made a warning, which is don't go to your employer and ask for inflation busting pay rises, because if you do that, this inflation problem will get worse and his job Hmm. of managing inflation will get much harder. Those comments went down, I think it's fair to say, like a cup of cold sick. The head of the Bank of England said that workers shouldn't ask for pay rises. This is the Daily Star. The plank of England is the headline. 77% of care workers are paid below the living wage. Mm. What what was your pay over the same period? Actually higher. What was it, Gordon? Um, It's somewhere over 500,000. I can't tell you exactly what it was. I didn't carry that around in my head. Is that just him shooting from the hip? Or is that the kind of thing that they'll have really thought about and said, we need to land this message? It's interesting. I think in retrospect, we could probably say that it was a very, very deliberate comment. He is urging us all to demonstrate wage restraint. Is he? Read the room. Yeah. Including pension, 575,000. Yeah, including pension. 538 pounds, I think. That's how many more times? It's substantially more. Yeah, it is substantially more. I know that. And in subsequent days, weeks, and now even months, he has constantly defended his comments. It's become a bit of a tactic for central bankers, I think, in the last 15 years to say slightly outrageous things because they want Mm. a message to pierce through a lot of the noise. And that message, if it does get to the ordinary man, is going to be quite influential in, you know, ultimately helping, in this case, Andrew Bailey's main job, which is to control inflation. So I think in hindsight, we can say it was a tactic and even that it's Mm. been quite a successful tactic because the things that Bailey warned about, which is inflation running too high because of wages, probably hasn't really happened. And we're sort of about six months into that story. You're saying that people have heeded his advice and wages haven't run away with inflation as they've done in the past. I mean, there's a question about whether we attribute this to Andrew Bailey entirely. Well, good point. Yes. Job well done, Andrew, if that's the case. (laughs) Exactly. He can probably now ask for a pay rise given he's done so well. (laughs) Um, But... The story about inflation is there's obviously an economic story. But what we're seeing now in the UK is that inflation is actually a very, very political story. So when you ask people on the right, in particular, former government ministers associated with Boris Johnson's cabinet and also to business leaders, they will tell you that inflation risks running out of control because workers want too much money. And people constantly refer back to the 1970s, which still looms large in lots of people's memories. And that was definitely a story where wages were driving inflation to around 25-26% because you had unions who were able to demand because they controlled so much of the labour force, able to negotiate high pay rises. And for those on the right and some people in business, that's the big danger. However, if we just look at the numbers about what we already know about pay growth this year and the last maybe 18 months, it is still chronically lagging behind inflation rates. People are probably getting a little bit more in their pay packet than they would have probably for the last decade. Mm. But the average rate of pay increase in the UK at the beginning of this year is running about 4 to 5%. Inflation is running, has been running comfortably above 7 or 8%. It's currently at 9%. It's due to go into double digits. So actually, the story really is, is that workers are failing to get inflation busting pay rises. And maybe we can go into why that is the case. But for now, we cannot say at all that there is a wage price spiral in the economy today. 
but but when we look at moves which are afoot within, well, most recently we've had a few weeks ago, all that's happened with the, with the RMT and, and rail workers, um, we know that teachers could be going on strike, nurses could be going on strike. If it hasn't had an effect, uh, wage increases on inflation so far, is there a reasonable fear that it could in the future? Yes, there is. But it's also worth stepping back and thinking, well, what is the state of unions and their power compared to the 1970s? And in some senses, industrial action is a reflection of the frustration that unions are feeling Mm. because they are not able to get public sector wages to rise in line with what they want. And they are being forced into, as they would claim, taking bold strike action to get people to listen to their demands. So in that sense, it's already a story of struggle for them. And just Mm. on an empirical level, in the 1970s, around three quarters of all public sector workers were part of a union. And the unions were incredibly powerful. And the story after the 70s was of Margaret Thatcher basically trying to destroy this stranglehold of unions. She succeeded. And the story of the world economy over the last 30 years has been a shift away from the wage bargaining power of labour in favour of capital, as in companies Mm. and businesses, who for various reasons, one of which is they can hire basically whoever they want and pay people whatever they want because we're in a much more globalised workforce, which then reduces the bargaining power that workers have. And that's a story which is playing out in the UK, but also in most parts of the developed world right now. So let's move away from wages then. Talk us through exactly how inflation works and what is driving it then. And also, I guess, what could tip the balance between this being a temporary phenomenon as opposed to something that could be with us for a fair few months, if not even years? Sure. Inflation, traditionally, it's always been thought of as a function of demand and supply. So if there is high demand for a certain type of good, for example, oil, and the supply for whatever reasons, particularly something like a a major war in in huge oil producing countries and a a pandemic which has disrupted the way that oil is shipped around the world, then the supply of that good is constrained. And that will result in an increase in the price of that good. Most of the story of the world economy for the last 20 years has been a story of deflation which is prices coming down pretty rapidly across all sectors of the economy. And that's been a story which we can put down to many things. I guess the big umbrella term would be globalization, which has reduced barriers to trade, is increased the number of people in the global workforce. And all of this has produced a downward pressure on prices. What's happened since around last summer, we had this period of lockdowns being removed or reversed. And there was a huge amount of demand of people just wanting to spend much more money on stuff that they hadn't been able to do for a couple of years. And that demand just pushed up prices. We then had this double issue that even though people's demand was high, some of the supply issues were still around. So just because we had had lockdowns removed in the UK, it didn't mean that people in China who were in the factories making our smartphones were able to go to work. A lot of them weren't. They were still under this pressure, which also helped drive up inflation because supply is not matching demand. And then the final factor is the war in Ukraine. Russia is among the world's biggest oil producer and among the world's biggest gas producer. And most Western countries move to impose sanctions on Russia to hobble its ability to take part in world trade. So I think we're on safe ground to Mm. say this is not a temporary phenomenon. And it's something that we're going to be living with for a good few months yet at best. So energy, I understand what what you're saying, but if you take some of those big shocks that you mentioned there, how does that filter through down to just prices everywhere you 
look going up. I mean, Lurpak is the one that everyone's been banging on about for ages, but even, you know, people's internet broadband packages are becoming more expensive. Why is it that everybody seems to have shifted into a mode of, ah, we need to put prices up, even if there isn't a direct line between them and some shipping holdup between here and Shanghai where they make their product? So we spoke a bit earlier about how the political right thinks that wages are driving inflation higher. There's also an argument on the left that actually companies are exploiting high inflationary environments to jack up their prices for no good reason. And this is a phenomenon that economists call price gouging, where companies understand that basically if everything's going up, they can also put their prices up because consumers have almost lost sense of what it means to have hmm. you know, a sensible price. So they will still pay. Various people have tried to slice up the pie chart and figure out why prices are going up. In the US, the left-leaning Economic Policy Institute reckons labour costs, wages, that sort of thing, account for only 8% of inflation. Supply chain issues were responsible for about 40% of the problem. But the other half? Fatter profit margins, they say. Meanwhile, in the UK, the Unite Union says that in the last six months, company profits are responsible for almost 60% of the inflation rise. The Bank of England, though, has a more conservative estimate. The people whose job it is to think about these things, like the Bank of England, for now, they are saying, we don't know yet. Because of the peculiarities in the way that inflation is measured, for now, around three quarters of the inflation, particularly in the UK, is being driven by external factors, which is still the energy price story. However, there have been studies, particularly in the US, where a couple of weeks ago we had a major report by the liberal-leaning think tank called the Roosevelt Institute, which looked at over 3,700 companies in the US, what sort of markups they are charging, the difference between the cost of doing business and what is then charged. And they have found that businesses are sitting on record profits and markups are at the highest they've ever been since the 1950s and that they have steadily gone up since the pandemic. So broadly, and I take your point that we don't know to what extent, but it's to a notable extent, to put it crudely, there are a lot of companies taking the piss. Yes, taking the piss. Coming up, the companies you might not have heard of who are doing the best at the cost of living crisis. That's just in a moment. I'm Charlotte Ivers, political correspondent for Times Radio and a columnist for the Sunday Times. Every day, I'm in Westminster, working out what our politicians are doing, why they're doing it, and what that means for you and me. I can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are looking at inflation with Maureen Khan, who is economics editor at The Times. So, Maureen, we've already gone through where wages and, and possible wage rises might feed into inflation, how we started in this tricky situation in the first place in terms of those big external shocks like the Ukraine war and what the pandemic did to business around the world. But you've introduced the interesting idea of price gouging and the people who are amidst all of this are turning a pretty penny. Take us through some of those. The first one, interesting one that you wanted to flag, is shipping. Yes. Shipping giant Maersk says profits tripled over the latest quarter. That despite a drop in the volume of cargo it handled. The number of containers on the Shipping is probably an industry which people in my profession haven't spent too long thinking about. It's not particularly sexy and it's probably uh, an industry that has been taken for granted. Well, apart from the... Remember when we were all obsessed with the Ever Given, stuck in yes. the Suez Canal? We were all mad yes, for shipping it, then. We were mad for shipping and the photo opportunities were like unreal. And yeah. I think there was live cam setup of this thing <laughs> trying to make its way out of the Suez. So actually, you know, there are periodic instances where we're reminded yeah. of how important shipping is. Now, in the US, which is slightly different from what I've already mentioned about the UK and Europe. Inflation is being driven a little bit by energy prices because um, the US consumes a lot of oil, but they also produce a lot of oil. Because America is a relatively closed economy, a lot of the inflation that they have been seeing is actually driven by different factors than what we've seen in Europe, or at least the composition is different. So for the Biden administration, they have focused on this issue of companies, as we said before, sort of taking the piss. One particular part of the shipping industry has come under huge amounts of political pressure from Washington, and that is the Pacific shipping industry. So basically the shipping industry, which the US relies on to get goods into America, a lot of it from Asia. I have to admit to you, a lot of us elected officials have been in office for a while. Every once in a while, something you learn makes you viscerally angry. Like if you had the person in front of you, you'd want to pop them. No, I really mean it. There are nine, nine major ocean line shipping companies that ship from Asia to the United States. Nine. They form three consortium. Now, the Biden administration claims that some of the margins that these shipping companies had charged are 1,000% higher than they were in normal times. These companies have raised their prices by as much as 1,000%. So everything coming from Asia, they, they, they get 90-some percent of it, the stuff coming from Asia. They've raised it by 1,000%. That's a huge, huge markup. And they think this is... One, sorry, 1,000%. A 1,000% increase in margins. 
Yeah, 1,000. Gosh. 1,000%. And that's what is stoking the higher cost of goods coming into America. And sorry, Marine, this is me being thick maybe, but you said a 1,000% rise in the margin. So it's not just a 1,000% rise in the price that they are charging for that service. Yes. It is just the margin. That is just pure profit. Their pure profit is going up 1,000%. Exactly. Oof. That is the number that Washington has calculated. And they've said that this behaviour should be illegal because they are a cartel, basically a monopoly. These companies between themselves can decide what prices they want to set. And because the global economy has been in a period of extreme turmoil, they are able to do this. Now, there are some caveats. For example, the shipping industry is dealing with higher costs. There's also been huge amounts of port disruption across the world. However, the question is, have they gone up by so much that you need to raise your margins by 1000%? And that is, I think everyone in that story says, well, this is actually not acceptable. So you are seeing moves now to come up with ways to stop this from happening. So, Mr. President, I appreciate and we appreciate your support of this legislation. You are about to sign into law the first significant reform of shipping laws in 24 years. Passing legislation, emergency legislation, trying to cap the maximum charges that shipping companies can put on the prices of their services. A few months ago, my State of the Union address, uh, part of my plan to lower costs for Americans, I promised to crack down on ocean carriers whose price hikes have hurt American families and American businesses. And today I'm proud to say that we've got that, got that done on a bipartisan basis, and you did it quickly, folks. This is something which is also shining a light on the fact that we actually still have cartels and monopolies in very strategically important parts of the world economy. Another one, of course, energy and big oil producers, which has always been one of the world's most dominant cartels, are making a lot of money right now. Record profits, just purely from the function of the fact that the market price of oil and natural gas is spiked very dramatically in the last three or four months. Demand is very, very high, and supply for other reasons is also constrained. Hmm. And the market price for oil has gone gangbusters. And companies who dominate the oil-producing market, like Shell, like BP, like Saudi Aramco, which is the state oil producer from Saudi Arabia, are making profits that they have never seen before, purely as a function of price. Saudi Aramco says its profits skyrocketed by 80% in the first quarter as the mostly Saudi government-owned company saw a rise in oil prices amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Saudi Aramco reporting record earnings here for the quarter. Almost $40 billion made in just three months' time. Is this as good as it gets? Third quarter net profits were up 158% on year, hitting 30.4 billion US dollars. Bumper quarter for big oil. Saudi Aramco is probably the biggest business you've never heard of. It's worth over $2 trillion, second only to Apple when it comes to the world's most valuable companies. 10 times bigger than Shell, 20 times bigger than BP. It really was a bumper set of earnings for Aramco. These are pretty splendid numbers. They've been making money hand over fist. Well, indeed, it's extraordinary. Shell announced more than £14 billion in profits. It will stay this way, I I think, uh, as long as the markets persist the way they are, and there's no reason to expect them not to. 
I mean, just explain what you mean by cartel and how that's even possible, because I guess, you know, within the confines of the UK, we know that our petrol stations, for example, can't all collude on a price and agree it together because there's legislation in place which says they're not allowed to do that, for, for, I guess, for this reason that we're discussing, albeit on a slightly smaller scale. Is it even possible to have a some kind of supranational international agreement whereby we say these companies and organisations, because they are so strategically important, energy shipping, can't do this kind of, as you say, cartel-like behaviour? Sure. So a cartel in economics lingo describes when a particular industry is monopolised by a handful of players. So if we have, uh, you know, X industry, let's just say for producing bananas, but there are only two or three companies in the world that produce bananas that supply most of the world. Those companies all sit down together and say, well, I'm going to charge $1 per banana and you don't have Mm. an interest in undercutting me because if you also charge the $1, that means we'll all make the same amount of money and no one's really going to be competing with each other to to reduce prices and also then reduce profits. So they basically set the price as a price-fixing behaviour. Now, in textbook economics, this isn't supposed to happen because in textbook economics, we have perfect competition. And actually, the, the reality is much more complicated. And you're right when you say that at the national level, we have competition authorities whose job it is to look at all types of markets that consumers are part of and try and understand whether there are companies that operate illegal price fixing. And the job of those regulators is to then regulate against it by forcing Mm. companies, one, to break up, by charging companies huge amounts of fines. But as you also said, this is something that happens at the national level. But now we are discovering at an international level, you can have a handful of companies which still dominate sectors and sort of escape the regulatory purview of any one country because the nature of their industry is that they operate across borders. Shipping is almost a perfect example of that. Wouldn't some of these companies, though, Marine, they wouldn't describe themselves as cartels. They might say this is just good business in a, in a free market context, isn't it? There's there's more money to be made here and so we'll make it. We're not doing anything illegal. Sure, and, and they can basically argue that they have been in in existence in this form for a very, very long time and nobody's ever really paid that much attention to them and suddenly they are being accused of, you know, rampant profiteering. A cartel is a sort of legal but also quite fuzzy definition. And if you're a shipping company who's been in this industry for, for many years, you have broken through barriers of entry and managed to capture market share and do all the things that, you know, capitalism encourages you to do and creates the incentives for you to do. Oil is another Mm. perfect example where the cartel is political to some degree because it's about countries, oil producing countries, of which there are only a a handful and they're never really going to be more unless we have massive oil discoveries. And they also operate as a cartel. They escape regulatory purview because we do not have supranational governance structures to police these things. The closest Mm. we probably have is the European Union, which has for the last five or six years taken a very proactive approach, at least on competition policies, to the tech industry. But again, it's geographically limited to the jurisdictions in which those executives have power. I think it's now we are having broader conversations about why we're so badly equipped to do things like break up monopolies. And maybe living with cartels just has to be the nature of the global economy we're in. And maybe we can also talk about some of the other measures that are being touted by politicians of various stripes to get around this problem of trying to destroy cartels in a different sort of way without using competition policy. Well, what would that involve? 
So one of the ones that has generated quite a lot of political momentum on the left is the notion of price capping. So a price cap in this context would mean a government, say the United States, passing a law which will give the government direct power to limit the price a certain company can charge. And a lot of people who instinctively are against price caps would say this is just not how markets work. Government should not have a role in dictating what money businesses can make because, again, this is all a function of supply and demand and we should let those dynamics play out. However, price caps are actually quite a major part of how we already run the economy in certain types of services. For example, uh, rental controls. In many, many parts of Europe, rental controls exist, which stop landlords from hiking up the price of rents for tenants beyond a certain threshold. We also Mm. have price caps in public utilities, so services like water and energy. So we operate with price caps in the economy for things that we think are very important to ensure that companies are not able to exploit Mm. consumers. So there is an argument that price capping should be broadened to sectors where we know that inflation is being driven by price gouging. This conversation is not very intellectually developed. We don't see any politicians in the UK yet arguing for this. There are a few democratic politicians on the left of the party who are calling for price caps. But it makes a lot of intuitive sense to, I think, voters that they may be at the mercy of companies and there is no regulatory Mm. oversight over them and their behaviours are making our inflationary problem and therefore our economic problem much worse. After it posted an 82% jump in profits in May, Saudi Aramco said it was focused on helping meet the world's demand for energy that is reliable, affordable and increasingly sustainable. It said, energy security is vital and we are investing for the long term. It promised to boost production, which in theory could mean it could cut prices, although whether that will actually happen is another question. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Times Economics Editor, Maureen Khan. You can find all of Maureen's work on The Times website, thetimes.co.uk, or by picking up a paper copy of the paper. The producer today was James Shield, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, and why wouldn't you, why not give us five stars on whatever app you're listening to this on? It helps us boost up the charts so other people can find us. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.